0: serve a mighty, a powerful God. Amen. And uh, it's kind of an appropriate song this morning, Sister Taylor, that you picked. Um, We get excited about that song because he's a mighty God. But I wonder how excited we get about the fact that we serve him, that we are here in his service to do his will in our lives and what he wishes for us to do. Amen. With that, Going to head into the lesson this morning. If you would turn with me to the New Testament, the Book of Hebrews. Can everybody hear me? Okay, out there. I must have stolen Brother Locke's big, large pillow because it sounds like I buried my head in it this morning again. So, <laughs> Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. Start with verse number five. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reference. Shall we not much rather be in subject unto the Father of spirits, and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nobody likes getting corrected in the moment, do you? Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. By the help of the Lord this morning, I want to speak on this subject, faithful in correction. Faithful in correction. do want you to shake somebody's hand next to you, behind you, in front of you. Greet them in Jesus' name. Faithful in correction. I'm going to talk about everyone's favorite subject this morning. It's a good thing that we don't have chandeliers in here because you'd probably be hanging from them by the time I get done with this message. Might need to get the ushers in here and make sure we direct traffic on the aisles because we might start running the aisles, pouring the altars. Because I know any time you start talking about correction, we get excited. Amen? All right. I briefly thought about uh, in, in my carnality. I know I'm the only person in here who deals with that, so bear with me and forgive me. But I briefly thought about oh, I now, mean, I'll change the lesson here and go something a little more exciting. But, you know, I read through the verses here, prayed about it, and I thought, you know what? We're going to go old school this morning and just talk about God's correction. But there's good news in correction. It's in the title He's Faithful. He's Faithful in Correction. It's not human nature to enjoy discipline or correction. It's not in our nature to enjoy it. But correction is an essential part of growth and maturity. It's essential to our personal growth and maturity. Correction is not only a necessity in the natural, but also the spirit. We need correction in the natural. Got any Disney World fans in here? I remember it will always stick with me. I remember uh, Brother Buck's not a Disney fan. He says he's not, but he's a closet Disney fan. We were, we went to Disney uh, a couple years ago, I think it was, and we were in a gift shop. And there was this father, he had his young daughter there up at the counter getting ready to pay. He had a little, little doll or something he was going to buy. She wanted it, and she was screaming that she wanted it. He wasn't going to get it for her. So she was throwing a tantrum, uh, pitching a fit. So he got it for her. She's sitting there holding it. And as soon as he paid for it, She decided she didn't want it, and she threw it on the ground and started kicking it around. The father got down and said, honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? Tell daddy what's wrong. He grabbed the doll, took it back up to the counter, goes, I'm sorry, can I return this? I don't think she wants it. I thought, that's not the way I would have done it. I wouldn't have done it that way. I wonder what that child's doing today. Thank God for his correction. I can remember, I I remember vaguely, I can remember my teacher in school getting on to me about this, but the story goes, my mother tells me, um, that I was coming home from class and she was, she had come to my room and I was, I had all these toys that she had never bought for me. They were in the toy bins, they were everywhere. I had toys all over the place that she knew she didn't buy for me. So after some questioning, she figured out what I was doing. I was going to school, and every every student in my class, I was enticing them, I was saying, listen, I want to be your friend, I really do. But this is only going to work out if you give me something. And so I had kids going home and getting their toys, bringing them to me so that I would be their friend. They're paying for my friendship. So I, it was a genius, right? Brilliant idea. <laughs> So I can remember my teacher, after my mom found out about it, she you know, took me to school and made me uh, go to the teacher and tell her what I was doing and, and um, had to send out an apology to all the parents and uh, had to bring back in all the toys that I had. didn't steal them. They gave them to me, but I, I had to bring them back and give them to my teacher. But thank God for correction. Thank God for a mother that recognized uh, the error in my ways. I was just a genius ahead of my time. Uh, But thank God for her that she corrected me and I went and learned my lesson, right? I could have turned out way worse. Could have turned out way worse. But correction is a necessity in the natural. It's part of who we are. It raises us to be good citizens. It raises us to be good uh, co-workers, good neighbors. Um, Raises us to to be good friends and, and fellow saints in the church, correction is also necessary in the spiritual as well. God is God and we are not. Somebody say God is God and we are not. Our human nature demands that we experience the lessons of divine discipline and truth in order to grow spiritually and become all that God intends us to be. Because of our human nature, we have to experience, it's necessary that we experience divine discipline, divine discipline and truth. If we want to grow spiritually, just like in the natural, if we want to grow up to be good citizens, if we want to grow up to be a good saint, if we want to grow up to be a spiritual head of our household or a spiritual husband or wife, then we've got to endure spiritual discipline. In life, we've got to pray like Jesus did in Luke twenty-two, forty-two, where he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If Jesus Christ, it's very popular in the denominal world to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. You've heard that, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But I wonder if, if anyone or if, if often those who say that truly understand what that statement means, to say that Jesus is my Lord. That means that he lords over you. That means that you submit your will to His. That means that what His desire for your life is, you go along with that. Not what your will is, but your Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, Nevertheless, in His flesh, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Both deliverance and the supernatural power to go through life's circumstances can be powerful and meaningful lessons. God is good in all of life's ups and downs, He's good in the good times but he's equally as good in the bad times. He's good when everything's going right and he's also good when everything isn't going well. God is good. Matthew 5:45 says that he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So it pours outside, it rains on the unjust and it rains on the just. Romans 8.28, this is a verse that we quote fairly often. It says, we, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We live in a world of sin and its consequences as we await earth's final redemption. Whether we require correction for individual failings or experience the far-reaching impact that the curse of sin has on each and every one of us. Learning the lessons of faith from our Heavenly Father is essential to a whole and holy life in this world. Bad actions require righteous correction. Bad actions require righteous correction. Just as surely as bad things do happen to good people. Our trials, we need to understand this, our trials do not necessarily mean that God's disfavor is upon us or that we are lacking in faith. Jesus himself died upon a cross, yet he was perfect and righteous before God in every way. So the greatest lesson of righteousness begins with the understanding that we should not resist heavenly correction. We should not resist it, nor its will in our lives. We should welcome it. I know that's a hard thing to do. When you were a child, you probably didn't welcome a spanking. You tried to talk yourself out of it, didn't you? But I didn't I didn't mean to, you know, do this or or uh, how many wanted your mom to spank you instead of your dad? I did. I did. Mom spanking didn't mind so much. Dad spanking didn't want. You know, we try to negotiate these things. We shouldn't try to do that with God. You know, it's a tough concept. It's a tough pill to swallow, but we should welcome spiritual, divine, heavenly correction from our heavenly Father. As Romans 8.28 says, we should recognize that all things work together in God's purpose for our lives. Romans 8.28 says all things work together for the good. So what is that talking about? What is in correction, in time of trial, in, tr- in times of circumstances that we go through, what is the good that Romans 8.28 is talking about? Now often in this verse we get excited all things work together for the good because we say, I'm going through something right now, but I'm, I'm going to come out of this with a blessing. All, th- all things work together for my good, so this bad thing that's happening right now, I'm going to get a miracle out of this. Maybe that's what, you know, that there's, a, there's a concept you could go with that, but that's not exactly what this verse is talking about. What is the good? that we're working towards, that all things work towards in Romans eight twenty eight. It's found in the next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son. The good that we experience, the good that comes out of every trial and circumstance, isn't a physical blessing. It isn't a miracle that we're waiting on. The ultimate good that awaits us, and the reason we must go through a refining process, is conforming to his image. You say, I'm going, to, I'm going through a trial right now, but there's, going to good, there's good going to come out of this. What is the good? I'm ultimately going to be redeemed and conformed to his image. That's the blessing that trials bring. We get to be like him as we wait on our final redemption. Amen? In many ways, the story of Jonah is the story of the world, and the story is fleeing the will of God fleeing the will of God. That's the story. The world makes the mistake by demanding that it can and must make its own way. It can and must make its own way. In the case of Jonah, though, God had strong confidence in what Jonah, the prophet, and what his ultimate response would be to God's demands. Jonah was headed in the opposite direction from the divine will of God. But thank God for second chances. Who's thankful for second chances this morning? Through divine intervention, God drew Jonah back into righteousness and back to a supernatural and righteous ministry. What Jonah learned on the dark sea one stormy night impacted Jonah's ministry more than anything he would ever confront again. Jonah changed his attitude towards the will of God and benefited from the Lord's chastening in a powerful way. Jonah then was able to turn around an entire city in one of the most amazing transformations in history. In order to impact the evil city of Nineveh, God needed to first impact Jonah, the preacher. Nineveh was an evil place. Nineveh was a place that God desired to destroy. God wanted to turn the hearts of those people Back to him in repentance, if he if they weren't going to repent, God was going to destroy and wipe Nineveh off the map. So God decided He was going to send Jonah to Nineveh to preach to them, preach conviction so that they would turn their hearts back to them. But before God could work on Nineveh, God had to work on the preacher that He sent to Nineveh. So if you're in the ministry, if you're a Bible study teacher, if you're a uh, praise and worship leader, Sunday school teacher, youth. Youth leader, Brother Brad, this is you. Youth leader, minister up here, that's me. In order for you to have an impact, you first need to be impacted. In order to uh, preach the word of God, in order to preach something like correction, you yourself also need to be corrected. Before God can work through you, he needs to work on you. Before God can work through you, he needs to work on you. In our sinful and backwards world, we face an unfortunate battle of wills in which many have miscalculated it being easier to run from God than to receive discipline and will of God into their lives. Many have miscalculated it. They have made the decision within their, their minds and their lives that it's easier to run away from God's will than to submit to God's will. But our generation does not need just any preaching, it requires the transformed preaching of a Jonah. So it's important for us in this generation to allow God to work on us and to correct us so that we can go out into the world and to make disciples. It's important that we don't resist God's correction in our lives. It's important that we don't resist God's divine correction. Because if we want to have an impact in our world, it's it's going to take the preaching of a Jonah. It's going to take the impacted life of a Jonah to transform the life of others. So don't, don't resist God's correction this morning. Just hold your hand out and let him spank it. As our opening text, Hebrews 12, points out, the lessons which bring us back into favor with God are often painful. Painful lessons. It's often a painful lesson that brings us back into favor with God. It's not, it's not unicorns and butterflies. Unicorns are a big fad right now, apparently. They got unicorn everything. Don't get into it. Please. Not that there's anything wrong with it, I just don't like it. I saw unicorn popcorn at Target the other day and I thought, ugh, oh, here we go. So it's, it's often tough things. It's not butterflies, rainbows, and unicorns, but it's painful things that bring us in our lives back into favor with God. The prophet Jonah learned all too well that the will of God is not always easy and must not be taken lightly. I heard one preacher put it this way one time. He said, the will of God is not always the easiest and most comfortable place to be, but it's the best place to be. If you're in an uncomfortable spot, if you're going through a trial, if you feel like you're in a season of, of correction, that does not mean you're not in the will of God does not mean that you are in the wrong it could mean that you are in the will of god and you have to just sit through that refining process it's not the most comfortable place to be but it most definitely is the best place to be and jonah 1 the prophet hoped to he said escape the presence of god by running away to a distant port called tarshish what a what a sad state to desire to escape the presence of God. Have you ever felt that way? You wanted to just get away from God's presence, just get away from him. I never want to get to that dangerous place where I want to escape God's presence. He wanted to escape God's presence because he didn't like the direction God was turning him. The prophet Jonah did not like what God was speaking to him, so he felt the best way to do this was to escape, kind of like a child, you think, who runs away from home because he doesn't like the rules or the regulations, what's going on. Jonah, in a childish way, was doing the same thing. He escaped to the Spanish port of Tarshish only to discover that it was impossible, and we need to understand this, it's impossible to outrun God. You cannot outrun God. You can try your best, but you can't outrun Him. It's as fruitless as it is pointless to blame God for life's difficulties and the essential discipline that he puts us through, as though they are unwelcome distractions in our lives. Rather, according to Psalm 94 and 12, the psalm says, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest. We ought to be excited that the Lord thinks of us enough to chasten us. We're blessed if God looks down on us and recognizes that we need correction. We're blessed if God looks in our lives and tries to turn us from our wicked ways. We're blessed as a people of God, as a church, if God tries to correct our direction. The best illustration of this is Job in the Old Testament. Job received in his darkest hour the word of encouragement to not despise or take lightly the instructive discipline or life lessons of God himself. Job was told not to despise what he was going through. Job who lost everything. Job whose entire household was wiped out. Job who lost all of his children, all of his his finances, his crops, his, his livelihood, his home. Job was told to look at all these things that he had lost. He was told to look at his present circumstance. He was told to look at this vice that he was in and to not despise it. To not be angry about it. To not run from it. Job would then become one of the world's greatest survivors because the heart that loves the Lord loves to be taught the disciplines of his word. If you love the Lord, if you truly, we, we sang it this morning, what a mighty God we serve. If you truly believe he's a mighty God and you serve him, if you truly believe that he's your Lord and Savior, then we should love to be taught the disciplines of his word. You ever been in a church service and you say, Man, the preacher was stepping on my toes this morning? We should love that preaching where we walk out of service saying, Ouch, that hurt. Ouch, that hurt. Hebrews twelve and eight takes it even further by referring to Psalm seventy-three, fourteen, saying, For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Imagine me. It was all walk out of Barnes Noble, I floated out on a cloud. I, I just felt so good after looking through those those devotionals. And I thought, man, who could feel bad looking at this? And there is things in scriptures that give us certain promises. We should hold on to those things. But we shouldn't disp It's okay to open. Why me, Lord? Chris Christophe, heard that song? Why me, Lord? That's the only part I know. Why me, Lord? The ultimate question is, whether or not the Lord sees us and knows what we're going through, right? That's the ultimate question. Do you see me? Do you know what I'm going through? What is God's purpose for this? Your question, why am I going for into bed the evening? The daughter added, is your face turned in my direction? So This is what the psalmist was saying. He just wants to know that God knows we're here. We all want to know that. I want to know that God knows I'm here and that his face is turned in my direction that he's looking in my direction, that he's not, he hasn't ignored where I'm at in this moment. God's faithful in correction. God's faithful in correction and understanding that we know that no matter what we go through, it may be painful in the moment, but God's face is turned towards us. God's face is turned towards us. When Jonah ran from the difficulty of facing the evil city of Nineveh and sailed to the distant port of Tarshish, He then faced the storm of God's discipline in a literal sense. God brought about a terrible storm on the the ship that Jonah escaped, escaping the presence of God. God brought about a terrible storm to bring Jonah back to where he wanted him to be. So Jonah, as we would say in the south, went from the frying pan and into the fire. He went from the frying pan and into the fire. The truth of this is God is inescapable. You can't escape God. Once you've been in his presence, once you have felt his touch, once you've received his spirit, you can run all you want to, but you'll never truly escape God. It'll always be right there in your mind. There's stories upon stories of, of people who have backslid. They've tried their best to get away from God. It may not be a literal storm like Jonah, but there's something in their mind, that torment that's always there. They always remember the altars. They always remember the messages that were preached. They always remember those scriptures of correction piercing their hearts, convicting them. You can never run away from God. He is inescapable. It's critical for all people of God to understand this, that God has a purpose for our lives. Somebody say God has a purpose. When that is understood, when that is known, We should run towards God's will, we should run towards his desires for our lives, and we should not run away from it. The opposite direction will lead to shipwreck, similar to the case of of Jonah. Judas in the New Testament, everybody knows the story of Judas. Judas has a, a similar circumstance. He should not have been anywhere near the garden the night of Jesus' betrayal. Judas should not had not even been there yet he had already set his own opposite direction in life which ended in tragic wreckage it would have been better off for Judas had he never been born because he decided in his heart he was going to turn from God's will and go in his own direction also the example of Ananias and Sapphira they should not have thought about lying as Peter said to the Holy Ghost regarding just a a measly sum of of, of money from a sale that they held back in the New Testament. They, They held on to something meaningless. They held on to something meaningless that in the end didn't make a difference. But Ananias and Sapphira were going in the wrong direction. Peter clarified by declaring of Ananias and Sapphira, Peter said this. He said, it was in thine own power to have done the right thing. You could have done the right thing, Ananias and Sapphira. You knew the will of God for your life. You knew what God required of you, and it was in your own power to do it. But Ananias and Sapphira chose the opposite course and paid the awful price. It's in our own power here this morning to obey God's will for our life. You're not held captive by anything strong enough that can overcome your will. I've heard it said, and I believe it's true, The most powerful thing in this world is human will. That's the most powerful thing because you can do anything that you want to do. God's all powerful. He has more power than us, but he's not going to bend you to his will. He's going to give you the opportunity. He's going to convict you. He's going to speak to your heart, give you the direction you need to go. But God's not going to force you to do anything. You can do whatever you want to do. You can repent in this service, or you can walk out and be the same. You can accept God's will for your life, you can accept his correction, or you can walk out and be the same. The world, just like Jonah, the prophet, our focus here today, the world, just like Jonah, is headed in the wrong direction. Jonah knew better because he was a man of God, yet he persisted in the wrong direction. To reject, to deny, and run from the will of God is precisely the path of an unbelieving world, but certainly not the prophet. The world says, God cannot tell me to go to Nineveh or anywhere else. The world says, God can't tell me what to do, right? God can't tell me what to do. You notice in the world We see it manifest in the laws that are passed and the protests that go on. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody likes to be told you can't do this because it's wrong. Nobody likes to, you know, we hear all about uh, a woman's choice. It's her body, her choice. It's not, you know, abortion is, is, is her choice. Scripture may declare it wrong. In God's eyes it may be wrong, but that can't be the case because I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what's convenient for me, not what is convenient to the will of God. So the world teaches us, preaches us that. Preaches us, teaches us that not his will, but my will be done. But Jonah knew better than that. Jonah the prophet knew better than that. He knew the storm itself that God had brought on that ship he was on that this was God's correction. This was God's intervention, and somehow his only hope of righteous correction was this storm. The prophet Jonah was about to change forever. Even after Jonah informed the crew that he was running from God who had sent the raging storm himself, the crew attempted to get him to shore but failed. The one who refused to offer up his life for Nineveh Jonah was now going to sacrifice himself for the crew of the ship. He told the crew there on the ship, he said, this storm that's raging, it's because of me, because I'm running from the will of God. The only way to make this stop is to throw me overboard. The only way to make this stop is to just throw me overboard into the sea and let me die. So the crew didn't argue. They threw him off just as quick as they could. I'm uh, headed to Michigan for work tomorrow on an airplane. I don't like flying. And um, if somebody, if the plane starts going down and somebody stands up and says, it's because of me, God's trying to get me, I'll go to the nearest exit door, no problem. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Plane just straighten right back up and keep going. No big deal. So the crew was out of options. If they wanted to survive, they had to get rid of Jonah. As God's plan unfolds, uh, there are symbolic parallels in Jonah's life. Uh, God created a, prepared a great fish. We know the story. Jonah got thrown overboard. A great fish was created by God. The fish came up and swallowed Jonah. So if it wasn't enough for him to get thrown over into a storm, he got swallowed by a fish. Was, didn't say it was a whale. It says it was a great fish. Could have been a whale, but we don't know that. Could have been a shark. I don't know. There are parallels to Jonah and what's going on here. For example, as though they were all on the verge of shipwreck, the crew, the pagan crew lightened the ship and prayed, the Bible says, every man unto his God. But the prophet of the true God was fast asleep. The ship crew was praying every man to his God. But Jonah was sleeping. The ship crew was praying to false gods. This parallels us in our lives. A ministry, everybody has a personal ministry, a ministry that is fast asleep as a world in need faces mighty destruction. A world that is praying and searching for hope and doing what they know to be right. They need correction, but we are asleep. On the other hand, Jesus Christ, our Savior, he took the sins of the whole world upon himself and willingly surrendered to 3 days and 3 nights of death, burial and resurrection. Jesus reversed forever the hopelessness of mankind's chaotic fall from grace. It's here that we see the culmination of truth of the truth of our focus text regarding the Lord's correction in our lives. Hebrews 12:11 says afterward correction chastening It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. Jonah had been faithless, disobedient, and astray from God's holiness. Nevertheless, God, the Bible says, prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. The prophet found himself in the divine discomfort of the Lord's discipline, which quickly turned his heart to prayer. Jonah found himself on the run from God, trying to escape God's presence. God brought a storm, created a great fish that swallowed Jonah. And all of a sudden, Jonah, who was on the run from God, Jonah, who wanted to not go and fulfill his purpose of preaching to the people of Nineveh, all of a sudden, in the belly of that great fish, Jonah Jonah found his heart turned back to prayer. It's amazing how that works the same in our lives when we are cold in God dry spiritually, unfaithful to church. But all of a sudden, we start to go through some things, and we begin to learn how to pray again. All of a sudden, life hits us hard, and then praying isn't so hard anymore. All of a sudden, we start to stress and to worry about something, and we decide, I wonder what God's Word has to say about this. And we open up God's Scripture. Don't think what you're going through is for nothing. But it's God trying to turn you back to him. Every situation that you go through in life, everything that we face is for God's purpose of refining us. It's working together for the good, for the good of us who are called according to his purpose. The good ultimately conforming to his image, becoming like him. It's the good is eternity. It's eternal salvation. It's receiving the Holy Ghost, being baptized in Jesus' name, having a transformed life. That's the good. That's this refining process. That's what it is leading us to. As Jonah found himself turning back to prayer, he cried out in such a praise of deliverance while still deep in the belly of this fish. He cried out with such a praise that God delivered him from the depths that great fish spit Jonah up on dry land. And the rest of the story goes like this. Jonah got himself up, cleaned himself off. He corrected course. He went to the evil city of Nineveh, and he preached just as God had in the first place commanded him to do. And God worked through Jonah. The entire nation of Nineveh turned from their wicked ways and repented, and God saved that city. would not have been possible if God had not first corrected Jonah that God had not first worked on Jonah's heart. It was important for God to work on the man of God before he could work through the man of God. Nineveh became the recipient of the good news of God's mercy because of the persistent discipline of the Lord towards his servant, Jonah. I'm getting ready to close this morning. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. An appropriate parallel to Jonah's finale is Romans 10.14. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How How shall they hear? Without a preacher, if we expect to go and preach the gospel, if we expect to go and be an effective witness, we've got to let God's correction work in our hearts. Otherwise, the world cannot hear. Hebrews 12 and 6 again says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Our heavenly father always knows what's best for us. Think back. I know it's difficult, but think back to that discipline your parents gave you. Think back to that heavy hand that came down. The rod, the 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 belt, the belt. Anybody get a belt? I did. I got a belt. It was the belt. And then sometimes I think he would pop the belt. Like if you were to correct, if he didn't want to spank you, but you're going to get a spank if you don't stop, you just pull it out. Then pop it. Crack, crack. You know, okay. All right. Let's straighten up here. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth." You ever hear your, your mom or your dad say, I don't want to do this. It hurts me more than it hurts you. Okay, well, give me the belt and you turn over here because I'm the one that needs discipline, right? So let me spank you. You know, I I don't want to have to do it, but. You ever think about saying that? No. No. <laughs> but there's truth to that. The Lord says, I'm doing this to you because I love you. I'm doing this to you. I know it hurts in the moment. I know it hurts in the moment, but I'm doing it because I love you. And I want to be with you forever. I want you to be up here with me for all eternity. I don't want to lose you. That's what what Jesus is saying this morning. I don't want to lose you to hell. I don't want to lose you to the world. So when I put you through this, all these things are going to work together for the good. What's the good? Conforming to my image. Being like me for all eternity. Living in heaven with me. So whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth. Our positive response to God's discipline is essential. Hebrews 12.9 says, Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Isn't it best that we subject our lives to Him and have eternal life? Earthly fathers, they may have limited knowledge of what's best for us, but not our Heavenly Father. No, He's not limited in what He knows is best for us. His plan for our ultimate good is that we share And his holiness conform to his image. Hebrews 12, 10, and 14 says that we might be partakers of his holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You can't see him unless you can be like him. You can't see him unless you can conform to his image. You can't be with him unless you can be just like him. So if we want to live, it's essential that we accept a we'll we'll kind of do a rephrasing here. Of this major theme of Hebrews 12 unless we accept this. You cannot go back now. You can't go back to the way you used to be. You can't go back to the things you used to do, but you've got to allow God to correct your course. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, the new birth, repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, receiving the Holy Ghost, only the gospel has the power to give us life. If you'll stand with me this morning. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Some of you here this morning are slap dab in the middle of the will of God, and it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good, but God's refining you. He's using this time in your life, this moment to correct you, because He loves you, and He wants to spend eternity with you, and He wants you to be like Him. He wants to conform you to His image. So as we sing this song here this morning, I wonder if we could just lift up our hands and say, God, I may not be comfortable well at where I'm at. Your will may not be comfortable for